Welcome to the Bonner Breakdown. The Bonner Breakdown is here to create conversations, connection, and find things to celebrate. So get your mug ready. We are going to have a cheers to the good report in just a moment. On today's episode, we have Todd and Sam Crossett representing the Solidarity for Black Lives Matter Sandpoint. We have an in-depth conversation about race, racism, the Black Lives Matter movement, along with its impacts here in North Idaho from several different perspectives. We hope that you enjoy today's conversation. And remember, there's always something you can connect with. So find someone to connect to. Have a great day. Well, welcome to episode 35 of the Bonner Breakdown. I'm here with Sam and Todd Crossett. So mm-hmm. thanks, you guys, for coming on today. really appreciate you having you on. You guys uh, get an opportunity to kind of speak about something that, that is inflated in the news, and it's all over the place, and there's tons of different reports all over about um, what's happened here in Sandpoint uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement, and, um, and uh, there's been a lot of craziness and chaos. And so I really was excited to have you on because oftentimes the newspaper, uh, even great articles don't tell the story. And so I'd love to love to hear some more from you guys. And I know, Todd, you definitely stepped up, I think, in the newspaper saying the reader saying, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll speak for this and, and have some conversations on it. So I appreciate that. Um, so uh, with that. Again, thanks for coming on. Appreciate having you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So we start off every single episode with what we call the good report. Uh, we're looking for good news. Um, and uh, so often we don't hear any anywhere. And so, you know, we we want to be able to find those those little gems here and things that that are good news. So uh, do you two have any any good reports for us? Well, uh, I think that with all the rain we're having, that it's going to turn out to be a really nice summer with a mild fire season. That'd be so nice. Good news. Yes, good that news. is good news. Yeah. Yeah. Because I hate August when it's burning. Oh, yeah. When everything is burning. <laughs> it's not ideal. It is not, <laughs> not ideal. So that'll be nice. That'll be good. How about for you, Todd? Yeah. Well, obviously, it's a messy time. There's a lot of challenges going on. We have yeah. a pandemic. We have, you know, really a pretty intense national discussion going on with race mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, among other things. And yeah, I think the good part of that is that out of those times, I th- think we get better often. Leaders rise up and we have difficult conversations. What I see are companies and organizations really interested in stepping up and leveraging this time to have those difficult conversations across difference. Mm-hmm. They need to happen for us to grow. Mm-hmm. And so I think yeah. that's good. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, for me, I think I think the good report is that um, uh, there is a growing desire for um, for more and more people to find out what's really happening. Um, and to look beneath the surface of maybe even reports and reporting and go, okay, what's actually happening? Um, and so with that, um, I really um, have appreciated the fact that uh, our viewership has gotten, uh, I think a good report is that it's now really crossing over into multiple multiple groups of people. So we've got a lot of people who watch from the right, a lot of people from the left. And so people are, are, are starting to be exposed to different ideas and different things that they normally wouldn't see. And so that to me is a good report because the more that we can see each other, not only as human, but value each other as human, um, I think the better we're all, better off we're all going to be. So to me, that's a good report. So cheers. Cheers. All right. Cheers to the good report. Uh-huh. Mm. 
See, it just tastes better when we do it together, you right? <laughs> you know, so um, so awesome. So now, uh, Todd, I reached out to you because you were in the in the Sandpoint Reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, your name was in the Sandpoint Reader um, when the demands for the Black Lives Matter list came mm-hmm. out, and so and you said that that you were talking. About. So uh, what I want to do is get your history a little bit, let people get to know you and kind of your background. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how we connected. Is just I was yeah. I'm paying attention to what's going on and thought, hey, I'd love to love to have someone from that or from that not even organization, but from uh, that can we call it a movement or you know how I don't know how you would reference it, but um, from you know that uh, group on so tell us a little bit about yourself and what your kind of what's your story now you've been embedded in bonner county for a long time so yeah um i've been a lot of places but i grew up near here my family came here my great grandparents and great great grandparents came here about 100 years ago and uh farmed and um worked at the school and played fiddle in the local (laughs) gatherings and things like that and uh so yeah, this has always been home to us. Our Hart family farm growing up was out just across the street from Dover. And uh, I grew up in a little community just outside of Spokane, just south and east of Spokane. Okay, the Idaho one? border, Freeman. Okay. That's right yeah. school. Okay. And um, so we, my, my wife grew up and graduated school here at Sandpoint High School. And uh, so we've lived all over, but we've always, we've always returned back and made our home here for uh-huh the last 20 years or so, 25 years. And, uh, yeah, we've lived, uh, we've lived overseas. Uh, we've lived around the kind of up and down the Rocky mountains, but we always come back here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's got a little draw to it. Yeah. 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 And I was, uh, I did a stint as a County commissioner here about, I don't know, 12, 14 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and most of the time though, I've run, uh, I've done consulting work out of here. I did it for a few years during the recession. I ran and managed cities and towns, in Montana and Colorado. Okay. And then came back here and I'm back doing consulting work. So I travel or actually now I, I zoom from here. Right. Like yeah. Most yeah. People do, they do what I do. But uh, yeah, this is That's home great. for us and yeah. it's been for a long time. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. And, and this is your uh, daughter, Sam. Mm-hmm. All right. Sam, tell us a little bit about you. What's your, what's your story? Um, well, I'm a studio art major and okay. political science minor at Hastings college. And you know, where's Hastings College? It's, it's in Nebraska. Nebraska, okay. <laughs> uh, I run cross country there. Okay. And yeah, my you know story with Sandpoint is his story, but like a chapter. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, so, um, in there was a moment in time where our nation changed. And it was when the video of George Floyd's murder went viral. And uh, to me, that was uh, that was a massive watershed uh, moment for people to see something that maybe they had not been exposed to or fully seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there had been lots of different um, actions over the years uh, with the black community um, that that had caused outrage and for people to be upset. But I think this is the first time that I've ever seen uh, almost universal condemnation of an action 
you know, everyone that I heard across across all political parties denouncing and being very upset about what they saw. So we had this this brief moment of national unity, and then out of that, it kind of went the other went the yeah. other direction. And so, um, and things things um, seem to be again, you know, really really divided and very difficult um, for a lot of people um, on all sides. It seems to me. Um, so. Um, um, you know, that happened. What was that process for you guys seeing that uh, what, for you, Sam? What was that? What was what well, was happening for you? I think as um, a young person involved in activism at my college, okay. um, that video is for it's really disturbing. And for mm -hmm. people, especially in communities like ours, it's the first time that they're seeing something like that. Mm hmm. But the reality is that this has been happening. You know, this has always been the case. It's just that more recently, people have had the ability to record it. And so that, I think, is what the actual Black Lives Matter movement and um, black activists have been saying in response to this is that this is not new. This is not a one-time event. This is... Um, a pandemic just as serious as the pandemic that we're in with sure. the virus. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they're asking for people from every community to step up and support them in a way that enables them to actually make change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've got a, a really good friend who's African-American, former, you know, NBA player and, um, and, you know, him and another buddy and I were talking um, about kind of this whole thing. And, and we talked about the data and the statistics and they're like, well, you know, the, the statistics aren't going to show you these things that never get found. Right. That never get seen. Well, that's the thing about statistics, right? right. Uh, ice cream sales and murders correlate, but there's a hidden variable. <laughs> um, so with statistics for crime, you have to, um, you have to divide it per capita to understand like why and how exactly communities are being disproportionately targeted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Todd, how was that for you when you, when you saw what was happening nationally and, and everything with, uh, what happened with George Floyd? Yeah, I didn't see it as, I didn't see it as actually a unique event. Uh, right. It's, it's been happening. It happens mm -hmm. all the time. And I think it's, a lot of it's off our radar unless we're in it. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah, really absolutely. easy for me yep. in my little corner of North Idaho to, if I see something uncomfortable on the television, to change the channel or to, you know, just to shut the gate on my driveway and log off be, of Facebook. Yeah, block off Facebook and I'm all done yep. with it. And it's, and I don't have to feel that discomfort, but it's going on all the time. And there are people on the, in our country and around the world that are in that discomfort constantly. And so whatever happened to, catalyzed people into action around that singular event it was actually the latest in a string of events mm -hmm. it wasn't mm -hmm. um it the yeah, video was, of Ahmed was... Aubrey getting killed for going out for for a run by armed sure. vigilantes um two months before that had been basically swept under the rug had just surfaced and called the national yep. so mm -hmm. it, it's I don't know what catalyzes people around a specific event. Maybe it was just the absolute egregiousness and up close personalness yeah. of a man being yeah. publicly executed in the street for over the course of nine minutes. 
right? That's yeah. you don't see that every day, thank nope. God, but it does happen every day. And it was recorded, and for whatever reason, people catalyzed. And I guess my take on it is, you know, thank God, it's about time that we do. And the second part of that is, said, well, you know, it seemed like there's a moment of unity, but see, then I think the discomfort starts. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, you know, we can't just all say, well, we're all sad now and tomorrow we'll get up and it'll be fine again for things to change. And I think that's what people are saying is that, no, it's time that we have to change this. And if this runs deep, it's not a singular mm-hmm. bad apple. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's the bad apple that carries it out, mm-hmm. but it's it's baked into systems in a way that I think is really uncomfortable to examine. And, um, and so as you start, that's to, a, that's a great way to say it. That as, was as a great way to say to it. As you start to unravel yep. that ball yep. of kite string, yep. it makes us uncomfortable. And, and mm-hmm. which I think is also really unnecessary mm-hmm. because part of it is, you know, when we start doing that, you say, well, okay, there's a systemic racism in the country. And, and those of us in this room to some degree or another have probably benefited from that, but we're not at fault for it. Right. We didn't do it. Yeah. I mean, like I didn't do it. I'm pretty sure you guys didn't either. Yeah. But at the same time, so can we disassociate us and say, okay, well, I didn't do it, and yet it still exists. Yeah. And its existence is not an indictment on me, but maybe it can be a call for action for me because I've got a voice that maybe other people don't have. So it's really interesting because the that and, and that was really an eloquent way to put that. And thank you because I think um, there is this there is this rub around personal responsibility in this and who's responsible. And I think, um, um, you know, the concept that I think where we, where we've, we're seeing heads, but here is the concept because of the racial makeup of the neighborhood that we live in 96% white most recently, you know, that, um, a lot of people feel like, man, you're, you're saying that, that this is our fault. And they're like, it's not our fault. Why, you know, get off, like quit blaming us type of, type of thing. So what's kind of the response to that? Well, I think that a good analogy would be that if somebody a hundred years ago built a bunch of houses and you live in one of the houses, but he also went and burned down a few other houses and every, you know, few years, he like shows up and burns down the same houses over and over again. So it's not that you're burning the houses, but you're living in a house that he built and he's also built burning down some houses. So hmm. you could still live in that house or you could say, hey, um, maybe we should find a different contractor, <laughs> you know, find somebody okay. who's not also uh, just burning down these houses that are right the same ones. So, you know, one of the you know, when we talk about um, I think there's two main issues that I think Black Lives Matter as an organization has done a really good job of messaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a lot of things they've not done a good job messaging, but that's my personal thing where I'm like, ah, I'm not sure if they're quite getting the support that they really want with some of the messaging. Um, now, one of the things is, is looking at the concept of implicit bias and mm-hmm. then looking at the concept of systemic racism. Um, and so really understanding both of those sides, I think is extremely important for every individual um, mm-hmm. to understand what that actually looks like. And, um, and they are connected. Right. Um, the systemic racism is the disease right and then all of these other aspects implicit bias and even larger ones like white nationalism um, police brutality they are all symptoms and so when we treat these like all different 
completely separate issues. Um, we're ignoring the the umbrella, hmm. you know. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I'm I'm always I'm always I'm curious about the um, the concept around um, nationalism. Did you say white nationalism? Yeah. Is that okay? So if yeah. you go, well, I might have some implicit bias, but that guy has the Confederate flag in his yard and that's a completely different issue. And it's like, well, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is, you know, different issue, but it's also, uh, it comes from the same thing. Um, okay. Which is, which is that we have a history of racism in this country yeah. and it's in all of our institutions and it's in all of us as well. You know, mm. naturally as humans, we have bias, but we this country was literally built on racism, you know, on this enslavement of black peoples and the subjugation and genocide of Native Americans. And we erase that from our history that we teach to our kids. And hmm. so I grew up thinking that racism was over in this country and then meeting people who were still suffering from it. Mm -hmm. That's really hard. That's really hard. I, I, um, I, I think this is where, this is where there's the divergence in perspective. I think for a lot of people would, would say, you know, they would say, but also America probably has done more to eradicate systemic racism than any other nation. I think I see, I hear that a lot, you know, especially, you know, like how many people died in the civil war, the emancipation proclamation, the civil rights act in 1965, you know, these different things that over the year through this struggle have happened, the banning of Jim Crow laws and redlining and some of that stuff. So mm -hmm. what I see happening is like, okay, so there's been a lot of efforts taken to try and level the playing field. And like you've said, like the, analogy with the house keeping still burning down, you know, when you look at that, where are the highest concentrations of COVID-19 and it's in inner cities in the same redlined areas yeah. that were there in the thirties. Yeah. Um, and so that's where we can look and go, okay, so systemically there's this, there's, there's a pattern of a lack of funding and a lack of opportunity within certain, you know, within the black community well, that's be there and it builds right? over it doesn't time. doesn't go away as soon as you just say, you know, it doesn't go away just as soon as you, as, just because you erase it from a law. Correct. Right. Yep. Um, I, I totally agree with that. It builds yep. over generations. And yep. there's, there's a sort of a, um, I see this in our national discussion and it's actually, I think it's really, if you study cultures, it's really sort of ingrained in our culture is we're pretty good solve problem solvers, a lot of us, right? Yeah. Figure stuff out, which has gotten our country a long way to put a man on the moon, right? Being able to solve problems. Things. And at the same time, it gives us, there's a, we can have a sort of an either or mentality mm -hmm. that we can fall yep. into. It's like, well, yep. which one is it? Did, have we done things good? Or are we, have we done things wrong? And the answer is probably both, yes. Both and. Both yeah. and, right? Yep. And so, yeah, yep. we have done some things wrong. But I think also what Sam's saying is that with our failure to actually teach our failings and our ongoing challenges to our kids, it's really easy for us that aren't seeing it every day mm -hmm. um, to think that it's all done. I grew up the same way. It's like, and I, well, part of the reason why Sam thought it was all done, because I did too. It's like, well, we had the Civil War, and then we had Reconstruction, and then we had Martin Luther King and Civil Rights Act, and we're all done with that, right? 
Well, no, we're not all done with that, right? And there's all these pieces that we never learned about. It. But yeah, the thing is, it's yeah. like your own personal development. You know, if you pick yep. up a totally, go to the totally get that yep. place at the, you know, yep. the shelf at the bookstore, yep. first thing it'll say is, okay, we'll take a good hard look at your stuff. Right? So, so my, and I think one of the, one of the realities of history is that we can't change it. You know, yeah. we can't can go back and, and rewrite history. We no. can't even no matter how many statues get taken down, you can't rewrite it. You know, you can't no. you, you can can't change it. it, but you can understand it. And one of the one of the things that um, um, the one often a complaint I hear is that um, we'll only focus on the negative history, not on the good. Um, and I think that there's that there's a. Uh, uh, exactly what you're saying. Like, I think both you and I grew up in an, in an era in a generation that said, Hey, we've, we've, we've leveled the playing field. And I was talking to Robert, uh, Rosemary about this, you know, this, like mm -hmm. I grew up thinking, Oh, we shouldn't ever see color. Like we should not, you know, we like, like one love, it's all good. Like everybody's good be and, and be colorblind. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, and so, um, so much of what we see is, is obviously with this implicit bias. So, so this is where, you know, having the filters growing up in the generation that, that probably you and I grew up in having certain filters, we're not viewing our bias from uh, this broader perspective um, in the sense of maybe what Sam's seeing now, you know, going, okay, well, I'm learning about all of these things that I wasn't taught in high school, didn't get, didn't get, you know, a lot of that, you know, the education uh, historically around a lot of this stuff. So um, it seems like there's a, there's a big challenge um, to say, okay, how do we, how do we balance the desire to play in reality with our history and also not throw the baby out with the bathwater in coming up with solutions because it's got to, we've got to have a, a there's got to be movement. I think everybody agrees that um, there's got to be a shift in how the, the black community is treated and how the black community um, is, is handled from a police perspective, from a legislative perspective. There's a lot of things that need still need to shift. Yes. Um, and so in, and in talking with um, you know uh, my, you know, black friends, they all, they all agree with that. Uh, Robert agrees with that. Like there's like, I, I haven't found a whole lot of people that would disagree with that mm -hmm. concept. Uh, I think a lot of people are very, uh, they're very aggressively different about approaches. Right. Yeah. And that's where we see yeah. the issue. Uh, yeah. There's, I, it, and I think there's also a piece in there about, you know, the colorblindness thing, hmm. you know, that's something that's really, um, you know, seeing saves, we learned the golden rule, right? Treat Come on. Yeah. Like, yeah. So this it? guy one time, pretty famous Jesus, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, yeah. and at the same, which is, and it's, and it's really well attended. <laughs> so I say, well, I don't see color, right? I think that being egalitarian about that, but if I don't see color, I, I actually don't see, I don't see how you're different. Their than value. Me, as as yeah. Totally. Right? I, yeah, I get you. I don't I get see you. that you're a human yeah. like me. Yeah. I don't see difference. I actually don't see what you're facing that maybe I'm not. <laughs> My past, my friend who's a, who's a pastor was in front of a church of basically 5,000 white people. And he said, how many, how many of you here would love to trade places with a black man today? Not a, not a hand went up. Mm -hmm. So don't, don't tell me there's not some, some issues here. Yeah. I think you that know. the, um, the one love, the colorblindness, that's the goal, right? That's the ideal. That's the, uh, we would want people. That was Martin Luther's King's dream, right? Mm -hmm. Is that 
people are people and judged on the content of the character not the color of their skin exactly and but the problem that we have is that people who are able to so white people have been able to say okay well i'm just going to do that and they we you know we see it here we live in our you know white community and we have just like we have the same circle of people and we are allowed to live our lives because nobody is going to judge us by the color of our skin. And so in order to truly move towards that goal, we have to recognize what is actually happening, which is that we have implicit bias. And the good news is that it's totally reprogrammable, you know, (laughs) (laughs) um, It just takes a little bit of education and just takes a little bit of introspection and Mm -hmm. you're well on your way. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think this is where I think um, I think the Black Lives Matter movement maybe struggles a little bit. Just I'll just say in general, because I feel like there's a a, they they definitely um, um, there's there's a shaming. That if you don't see it the way we see it, you're racist. I'm actually really glad you brought that up. You know, so there's there's that. And if so, that's that's something that, you know, you see. But go ahead. Um, So we are, I think, what we're 400 years into this. um, And we hear all the time that it's like they should be about how black people should protest. Right. They didn't like it when Colin Kaepernick took a knee. They didn't like it when they were protesting people peacefully didn't like it when they were rioting uh and now they have more white people listening to them than ever before looking at them saying what do i do Mm -hmm. and a lot of them are saying you know too little too late we're tired and Mm -hmm. i think that it's an unfortunate but i think fair point that um activists have more important things to do than babysit us while we work through our feelings and uh what they're looking for you know allies to do is to be that face to be that kind like let's take a look at this you and me and we Mm -hmm. can work this out and you don't have to demand emotional labor from somebody who is fighting for their lives um so that you can feel okay about if you're racist or not Mm -hmm. so but just even if you disagree Right. Even if you, yeah. So, so there, I, I guess there's, there's one piece that you just said that I'm, maybe you can explain it a little bit better mm-hmm. for me. Um, when you mentioned this, this, um, that, so someone disagrees and they're like, you know, actually, I think that, uh, maybe somebody super, you know, make America great again. Conservative says Trump has done, you know, all these great things for, for the black community. And somebody says implicitly, no, you're racist because you don't agree that this problem looks like this or the solution to the problem looks like this. And so that's where, that's where I feel like there's, there's that, um, just in having the disagreement is now called racism. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's where it's not emotional labor to not be accused of something. So that's, can you explain the emotional labor piece? What does that, what does that look like for you? Cause I, I'm, I, I'll just tell you, like I, I get, I, I'm taking in stuff from all over the place and I'm Absolutely. playing devil's advocate on some things and, and just trying happens. to really understand, you know, and, and help our, people understand. Yeah. And we do that in our community. I'll talk about yeah. Sam, which is that, but we were like, yeah. So if you think you're, if you're to the left of 
you know, of, of right, then you're a communist, right? If you're so we do this back and forth totally. thing, right? And it's totally. Just, you know, Sam, oh, yeah. want, you're speaking. Go so <laughs> the emotional labor piece refers to the idea that you are giving somebody effort um, in order to work for them emotionally. And we do it every day. For everything, sure. you know, okay. when you are calming down a child from your tan- from their tantrum, that's emotional labor, um, and you know it's a back and forth. So when you are in a relationship with somebody, romantic or otherwise, you know that trade off back and forth where you interact with each other emotionally, and there is some caretaking there, mm-hmm. is an exchange of emotional la- emotional labor that is equal. But when black activists talk about um, not owing white people kindness in this time um, Mm. or not owing them education in this time, what they're talking about is that they have not received any sort of um, emotional labor from us. They haven't received any caretaking from us. And now, as always, you know, they were brought into this country to serve us. Um, And... I think that what they're saying is that we're, we haven't been, we haven't been exchanged what we're owed. It's just a continuation of unfair Mm. labor. Okay. Um, Yeah. And yeah. And that's interesting. I I don't know if it's, it's unfortunate because more than ever, we need people to be educated Mm -hmm. and, but I think it's, you know, fair to say that more than ever, we have the power to educate ourselves as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting because, uh, and that was eloquent. Thank you. That was great. (laughs) So, you know, one of the, one of the things that seems to kind of come up for me a little bit in that concept of, of, um, you know, people not getting what they're owed, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and part of, uh, and I think part of the, you know, American, you know, the, whether you want to call it the, you know, white American or whatever, however you want to describe mm-hmm. the ethos of right. America um, is often that, um, uh, you know, you don't, you know, you go after the things that you want and those things are, are the things that you earn, you get, you go after it, you know, like, it's kind of like right. you build yourself, you, you know, so in the ethos of America, uh, you're like, you're free, go do whatever, you know, go get mm-hmm. after that thing. And so we don't see the, see that, that, um, the issue necessarily with people right. feeling like, actually, that's pretty like. Well, that well, doesn't work for me because so. the issue with that is that if you don't achieve what you wanted, then it's your fault. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, totally. When that's not totally. necessarily yeah. always the case is, you know, <laughs> a lot of people look yeah. at billionaires as being self-made men, but the reality is that they had, that they are still men and that they are generally pretty average and, uh, received a lot of those benefits before they were even old enough to, know what to do with them and some people don't and some people are born into debt you know Mm -hmm. some people are born into places where their schools aren't funded yeah Yeah, totally and you know it's it's starting um 
Yeah. Boy, you know, geography, <laughs> yeah. right? location mm -hmm. is huge. That was one thing Robert and I talked at length about. Mm -hmm. Like, like he's like, he was born in the South, grew up in the South. Like it's a different dynamic for opportunity yeah. um, than if you come out here to the Northwest mm -hmm. and you're black, you know, it's a mm -hmm. wild, wild miles difference. Yeah. Um, you know, so geography has a lot to do with it. And I think there's a lot of different, you know, subcultures across the nation um, mm -hmm. that like here in, in North Idaho, our subculture is so in fiercely independent you know right. like we're just we just have this very strong independent spirit here mm -hmm. um and that then and you know the majority of the people that live up here have a very kind of a conservative libertarian mindset you know um which would i think is moving more towards a classical liberal mm -hmm. um and it's in its kind of its ethos than it would be um you know like the moral majority conservative mindset of the 80s you well, know it's the so. legend of the far rest west right totally it's the yeah. self-made man the yeah. individual yeah um lone wolf whatever yeah um, yeah well and it's baked into the country too you know you look at how we you know, white people, you know, the people from Europe, largely yep. first, first yep. settled the country, they were looking for, they came from a place where they were basically locked in. Yep. And they were looking for freedom. They risked mm -hmm. their lives to come here. Yep. The further, it seems like the further you go west, like certainly here, by the time they got up here, you have people that are pretty hardcore. And you, just, yeah. you know, if you look around. Big risks. You look around, uh, like you drive around DC, the number one statue is a single solitary figure mm -hmm. on a horse. Mm-hmm. Right, you don't see collectives of people, right? It's, yep. it's, it's part of our it's deal. Part of our family got yeah, here. Totally. You know, my great grandfather on my dad's side of the family was orphaned at twelve, back east, ran away from and ran away from the stand with relatives and jumped on a freight train and came west. Never yep. saw his family again. Twelve yep. years old, made his way. Yep. Right. I grew up super proud of that. Yeah. Right? And but I realized, yeah, you know, part of my pride that is cool, but part of the pride in that is that's it's because it's wrapped so closely to that ethos, right? Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we do. And at the same time it gives us like Sam saying, I think, is it gives us the false sense that yeah. well, that's just everybody can do that mm -hmm. and it, it discounts what you also have to overcome. Mm -hmm. It looks different from other people. Yeah. Different mm -hmm. people. Yeah. Because at that same time that he was making his way up here, when was that? 19? About around 1900 or so. 1900. Um, different things were happening to different people of different races. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, yep. He probably couldn't have made that journey if he'd been somebody else. Probably. Absolutely. No. Yep. No. Totally. You know, totally. And, well, and he wouldn't have lasted here. No, so, I mean, like right. the, the well, history, the history, right. Good chance you wouldn't, not, wouldn't have. No. And, and, you know, I mean, with the city standpoint, you used to have a law that if you were anyone of color or Asian or Indian, then you weren't allowed after dark out to be out. If you were out after dark, exactly. you got arrested. So, I mean, this is the the reality of the time and the season. Of course, that's not the case today, thankfully. You're not going to just be arrested randomly just because you're blackout after dark. You know, I mean, as, as far as the law goes, mm -hmm. right? That's not, thankfully, that's not a law. No, but books. you might be shot by the police. Sure. Mm. See, that's how it occurred to <laughs> So, well, well, so, so, you know, when we, when we look at, at majority, strong majority of, of police shootings involve someone else with a firearm, like almost all the, all, almost all. And there's very, very few that of, of unarmed people who are, who are shot, whether you're black or white or whatever, like last year, there was a total of 60 unarmed people that were shot across the nation total 59 mm -hmm. well they shot you know, and they just killed otherwise 
you know right george but then they're floyd like george floyd wasn't, wasn't killed otherwise well you're right. Right. right so but that's killed unarmed from you know iron for yeah. passing a 20 i'm guessing if yeah. i passed a 20 the assumption would be that oh, well the guy has a 20 in his pocket he doesn't know it's counterfeit and a guy to interview it i probably wouldn't have gotten ended up on the pavement with a knee on my neck yeah right? yeah well so and and so you'd have gotten close to that point so one of the big yeah one of the big arguments is around um how we interact with police and police compliance and all that kind of stuff which um is you know my friend uh he's got two uh you know like uh, two young kids and you know they're they're getting you know 10 12 i think and in the next few years, they're going to start driving. They're nervous. You know, they're black and they're, they're nervous. And he's like, listen, you can plot, comply or you may die. Like, like, don't mess around with the police. And, and you know, and I think I think a lot of um, there's not that inherent fear for white people when they get pulled over at all. No. You know, like like we're like I, I remember um, um, a friend of mine got pulled over at three in the morning <clears throat> on their way to the airport. Um, and they got pulled over just outside of Sandpoint and they were ab ab being asked a ton of different questions. And I'm like, why are you asking me all these questions? I'm going to the airport. Here's the, you know, like, you know, and it was just like, and they were like, that made them really uncomfortable. And I'm like, mm, my, my, my friend who drives a Bentley truck, very wealthy, gets pulled over in really nice neighborhoods. Yeah. Because he's black driving a Bentley truck. Like, wait, wait, wait this doesn't compute. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so so I, I think that that there's there's a there's a couple of different things that are being that that, that are being fleshed out, I think, in the public narrative and in the public discourse right now mm -hmm. is okay, uh, how much of a role does does the culture um, around policing, um, and how much of a role is the, is the ability for, um, people to comply with police, you know, play in the, in the whole effort of how many people, how many issues, how many people, like you look at the Richard, Richard Brooks mm -hmm. you know, punches an officer, steals his taser, runs away and gets shot, you know, in the back mm -hmm. while he's turning around to shoot, you know, gets shot. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, like, that there's this moment of like, okay, um, guy's obviously intoxicated, you know, he's obviously, you know, not, not doing well, but mm. this concept of, of compliance with police, um, it seems like we're, we're moving in the opposite direction of mm -hmm. saying, do not comply with the police, you know, well, it's kind of on, on a national message. Yeah. There, there's a lot, there's a lot in there that I think, I think some, you just surfaced. Go ahead. Sam. I think that there's an idea that. Uh, there's not a lot that you can do. I mean, um, Brianna Taylor was sleeping when she got That's shot. That's so. Yep. And there's definitely ridiculous. <laughs> and, and it's her ridiculous. Boyfriend was arrested for defending his, huh? I'll tell Which, you what. You bring down my door. You're going to get shot in yep, my house. You better believe right? it. Yeah. Yep. So, warrant or no warrant. Right. Yeah. So, well, I mean, if wrong I, house, right house. You got a warning. <laughs> so the police are coming in, probably to be a different issue. But you break down my door, I mean, and the guy's arrested for that. Yep. Right. So, yep. I know. Well, it was, it's, it's, yep. It's got to change. With the case of Rayshard Brooks, I think this is where we're seeing this um, defund the police mm -hmm. uh, coming in from the Black Lives Matter movement, where they are imagining a world where that was handled differently. You know. Um, and this is not necessarily an easy fairy tale solution, yeah, but come on. you know, if someone from a different department, um, maybe a social worker, came and knocked on his window and said, "Hello, sir, how are you doing tonight?" Um, 
and he wakes up and he's blurry and he's drunk and he says, my partner and I are going to, we've got a car, we're going to try and, can we get you home or can we get you to a shelter where you can't be here? Um, but uh, we can have your car taken to a place where you can pick it up in the morning and make sure that you're going to get out of here safely. Uh -huh. And, yeah. you know, Let's he's parked see. outside of Wendy's. You need any Wendy's? Advil. <laughs> um where you know people are people who are in, in unfortunate situations and yep. you know i don't want to get too personal here but how yeah. many times have you been hammered outside of a wendy's i've been arrested for a dui it's not a while good i was parked in a car <laughs> okay so exactly. like like I, that's happened to me you know yeah. where i got woken up and mm -hmm. pulled out of the car and arrested because i sleeping. was for sleeping while while but yeah they they cannot it's against the law Right. Yeah. So to me, it's like, okay, great. If then those types of things change the law, if we want to deal with DUIs differently. Right. Well, and this is where we see this um, multiple symptoms of the same. I know. Issues. I just shocked a bunch oh, of people sorry. with that announcement <laughs> of my DUI, but whatever. We're getting open and honest and vulnerable. Yeah, here. Come on, get it. Um, <laughs> but we criminalize poverty uh -huh. in this country. We criminalize uh -huh. homelessness. You can't park and sleep in public places. Mm -hmm. um, and it gets people killed and we don't have the resources to help people who are vulnerable. Um, mm -hmm. We criminalize drug usage. Um, we put people in prison for life for nonviolent drug sentences instead of treating yeah. it like a public health issue. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that people here defund the police and they panic because they're of like, course. what are we going to do without the police? And I think the name's horrible. I, I think I think like messaging is important, right? But um, <laughs> and I think that the when they say defund the police, they mean you know that's what it means is that it reallocate funds. But when we say defund something, we usually just mean abolish something like um, right. Planned Parenthood. Yeah, they said defund Planned Parenthood. They meant abolish Planned Parenthood. Yep, or yep. education or education, right? right? Yeah, mm -hmm. I want to really pull if there's probably more in, in this. I want yeah, to pull yeah, yeah. before good. we miss it. That's great. The police. So you and I, this is another issue of lens, I think, and perspective. Totally. Right? So I, Sir so I can speak for myself. I'm guessing <laughs> it's probably also true for you. Okay. But I can't speak for you. I can speak for me. Um, I was always taught to run toward the police if there's a problem. Correct. Right? And I have always been rewarded for that. Correct. Right? And if I have, you know, and, and I have, if even if I am just marginally compliant, I'm fine. In fact, I've even I can even argue with the police. Yep, I did. And I'm probably still fine, right? And so, I gotta... so the way that I look at that is, it's like okay, I the police to me, I can reasonably deal with the police. Yeah. And I worry about these. I also have a son. I, you know, as a father, I worry about 800 things with them as they go out the door, especially as they're learning how to drive. But that's not one of the things that I worry about. Is that they are actually they're at risk because of the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. Um, but what if I have conversations and this is where getting past, like trying to justify our position with, you know, facts and figures, not that those aren't useful sure. and actually hearing people's stories become so powerful They do is because what you realize is that from earth perspective, other folks have a completely different, if people of color, and I'll say right now, I'll say specifically a, a lot of African-Americans, which is not true for every single individual. Of course not. But it's largely true across the group for a lot of folks okay. that their experience with police is that they're actually their lives are in danger there's a much smaller threshold right and if they get put in the 
in the um, they get put in that car, they might not ever come back. I get put in the car. I will go. I will call my attorney. That's right. I'm going to be out. I'm going to be out in a couple hours. A black person gets put in a car. They don't really know what's going to happen next, right? They might be on the ground with a knee mm-hmm. on their neck. They might be falsely accused and be in jail for the next, like mm-hmm. you know, you know, like the Central Park Five. They might spend the next thirteen years and in get jail. coerced into into guilty pleas. Well, yeah. who knows? And so this yeah. all goes into the fabric of the background. So I, if I look at it through my lens, right? So I I tend to mm. judge. We 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 judge mm. each other's actions based on. on our yep. like the iceberg theory, right? So it's we act based <laughs> on what's going on inside, right? Through everything that we've learned and yeah. our history and everything, yep. and and that's what causes our actions. Yeah. But if I see you do something, I'm going to judge. I don't know what's yeah. going on inside you, yeah. but I'll judge you based on what's going on inside of me, right? And that's right. So if I look at that from across perspectives, and I say, well, I've always been trained that the police are my friend and that's so that's how I respond to police. And then I see a black man that's terrified to get in a police car. It's easy for me to discount that and say, well, you know, what happens is black people just act out and that's why they get that's why they get killed. And if they just complied, <laughs> then that yeah, would be fine. It's a but, very but, different, but I'm discounting the, the complicated history behind yeah. that. There's a really interesting article and I've quite there's a really interesting um, statement by a man who's actually a he's a professor of art at the, uh, I think it's the Massachusetts Institute of Art, black man. He talks about his experience being uh, arrested for um, a profile because there had been a robbery someplace in the neighborhood by a black man. He was on his way to class, stopped to, stopped off to pick up a coffee, and suddenly it's surrounded by black men. And he realized this realization, you look it up, it's really easy to find, his realization that if I go with them, they wanted to haul him downtown. So if I go with them right now, and people are going back to the street and already judging him as you know, a black man standing there surrounded by police, already judged to be a criminal, comes, already judged to be a criminal. And he had this thought, so if I get in that car, I might die. I got to do everything I can to not get in that car right now. It's just a really different life experience. Mm. And so I think, I think we got to be mm. really careful to That's really good. take a look at that, yeah. you know, yeah. and you know, yeah. it's. It's, you know, <laughs> so you get a guy running yeah. away, you actually did not have run away. Yeah, but there's a lot of reasons maybe why he did. Yeah. No, well, that's, that's good. Yeah. Well, and especially in the history of how we talk about um, black people in this country, mm-hmm. um, that is, I think, has changed what people would normally think when they are presented with this information is that in the history of this country during the Nixon, Reagan, Clinton, Bush eras, uh, this concept of like, you know, the super criminal mm-hmm. um, has changed our perception of what black people are like. And I think I've also changed the perception of black people, of what black people are like a little bit. And, you know, I can't speak. Yeah, them, I, but- I had this conversation with my friends, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm like, when you have when you have the highest, um, the most authoritative mm-hmm. person in the world. Uh, in in a uh, in specifically with with Bill Clinton mm-hmm. and the crime bill of yeah. 1994, um, you, when you have the most powerful person in the world um, declaring that um, your race is super criminals, not specifically in those words, but yeah, um, super predators. You know this this mindset of people that are breaking laws in the inner cities. Yeah, which is just to me an expansion of Jim Crow. It is. Right. Yeah, so absolutely. it's just an expansion of Jim Crow laws Great in the 1994, mm-hmm. you know, crime bill. Um, and everybody, I think everybody, you know, realized that 
uh, everyone wants order. Everyone wants order. Nobody in the world wants chaos. Nobody doesn't want to know if I do this, am I okay? If I don't do this, I know I'll be, you know, like everybody wants, wants structure and they want order. And when we see, and so, and, and what we've seen is, you know, when it feels like there's areas that are out of order, mm-hmm. people want to impose more order. Right. And this is what happens with the 94 crime bill. Well, and I you think know? that, you know, yeah. just through rise in population, mm-hmm. we saw a rise in crime. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then I, but I think that this idea that um, there's just like criminals wandering the streets. I mean, we saw it here where people thought that people were going to start looting and that there was going to be violent gangs in our town, um, I think is mostly fabricated to perpetuate this like um, ability to incarcerate people at huge rates and exploit them for labor and to put them in the hands of corporations that run those prisons. Right. So in the continuation of the 13th amendment and all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because of, uh, you know, Robert and I were talking about that as well. You Mm -hmm. know, this concept of the 13th amendment, you know, and he's, he's, a very, you know, adamant, outspoken about the criminal justice system. Yeah, you know, it's not good for a, anybody. Being a tool for the corporations, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, I wonder. I wonder in this process because one of the things that you you kind of talked about was uh, rewriting the system. Is what mm-hmm. you know, kind of when you talk about getting a new a new construction you know, person. Um, and, and one of the things that the black lives matter, you know, the leaders of the black lives matters movement has said that they're very openly Marxist, that they're really open to rewriting the whole system. They want the whole system changed, um, and around a whole different lens than the constitution of the United States and around capitalism and, and that those opportunities Mm -hmm. into, to fully, fully transform it. And in fact, um, um, just yesterday there was an interview. I watched about a half hour of it and I was like, wow, you know, just as far as what they're, mm-hmm. what they're, what they're really, you know, intentionally pursuing. Um, and so this is where it comes to, how do we, how do we solve something that maybe, you know, um, uh, when we look at, so we can, we've, I think we've done a really good job of looking at the systemic racism side, mm-hmm. you know, of looking at that one thing. Um, I want to talk about solutions yeah. and some ideas around that here. Uh, but before that, I want to talk about bias mm-hmm. because we all have it. Mm-hmm. Our minds are, our minds are made to for pattern recognition, right? So, you know, we, we, you know, on the news and in the, in the media, you yeah. see blacks as criminals, blacks as criminals. Uh, if you grow up in the suburbs in white America, you are listening to rap music, which is all about criminality. And it's all about disrespect. Almost all of it. There's very little. Okay. Now I'm a rap connoisseur. Okay. So <laughs> okay. let me just say, take your word. <laughs> now it's different today. It is different today. So my son, my son's 21 years old. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm in my mid forties, my, uh, son and I took, I took him to college and we did a long road trip and he said, dad, pick your favorite two rap albums and I'll pick my favorite two. And he's got, you know, chance the rapper and he's got, uh, uh, Drake and I've got notorious B I G and outcast. <laughs> okay. Now those two worlds are miles apart. Mm-hmm. So what I grew up with in the, in the, in black culture, in the rap world was hustling, drug dealing, murder, and sex, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I mean, outcast 
a little bit better. Um, but, but a lot of it was, that was the primary, primary messaging. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when we get the, when we get this influx from the media, from, from whether it's on the news, news reporting, you know, you usually, there's a single, single narrative that mm -hmm. people are receiving and right. getting about well, an entire, I... entire race and entire community, so which, which just blankets right over the top of our filters with our bias, right? Because if mm -hmm. I'm noticing patterns, I'm seeing it coming from all these different things, which you're seeing a lot of people saying, okay, I can't play that role anymore. I can't continue to propagate, you know, that that perspective or viewpoint. So things are changing, I think, pretty dramatically. But well, and I bet with that um, rap that that was one of the few interactions you had with black culture. Is that correct? No, no. Okay. No. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I played basketball growing up. Most of my friends were black. So, okay. but that was their culture. Yeah. That was their, mm -hmm. their black culture there. It wasn't like they grew up in, in a middle class, but that they, you know, they're all they listening used to that. The wind and yeah. they were all about the thug life type of mentality, you know? I mean, yeah. that just was Well, and I think was. that people have a point when they say that it's can be self-defeating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry. No, it's all good. So yeah. I, I said a lot there. Mm -hmm. um, so the one thing I was going to say with the bias thing, like we get mm -hmm. all these messages in, but we are cognitive enough to recognize when the bias is not working for us. Right. Right. And so then we have to re-lens, we have to redo our filter. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's what you're talking about with education. Yeah. Right. Is to, okay, well, let's get a new filter mm -hmm. on that. Um, so go ahead. Yeah. Well, there's this handy little quiz called the Harvard Implicit Bias Test. Mm -hmm. It's not really a feel-good test. It's not like a, a BuzzFeed, <laughs> what breakfast are you test. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't really make you feel super good about yourself. But um, it's a good way to, especially uh, for me, I was like, you know, like I'm, <laughs> I'm a part of the LGBT community. Like there's no, I can't be racist. It's like, take the quiz. Right. And, and there's... A lot of different sections, you know, implicit bias against disabled people, implicit bias against Native Americans, implicit bias against gender. Mm -hmm. And um, it's interesting to go through and just take it. And it's just it's not political. It's just very like psychologically like you just connect positive or negative words with different images of people. And uh once you take that and you can mm -hmm. kind of like receive like a thermometer reading of if you've got bias or not, then you can kind of um, move forward from that and be like, okay, well, where is that coming from? And it's actually, if you're into, you know, self-improvement, it's a great way to kind of like look at yourself from like a not super personal lens, you know, because when you call somebody a racist, it's personal. People you take better it really believe personally. it. Yep. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you shouldn't, you like, this is where, um, that's the shaming piece that I was talking about. Right. right. Is I think that something becomes personal when it's a sustained choice. And so I think that with a lot of people with implicit biases, bias is not necessarily a sustained choice that we're aware of making. You know, it's something that we just have that's a natural reaction as mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, it's a survival mm -hmm. tool mm -hmm. in our brains. And mm -hmm. um, I think that we've all got this like opportunity that's incredible with the movement that's happening right now and with um, all of the tools that we have with the internet um, 
to make huge strides in the way that we think about how much we have the ability to choose who we are. Absolutely. I think that's a huge piece that you bring up there around that because we are, you're right. Our brains are wired. We have a reactive brain. Actually, we want a reward for give coined it the fast brain, however you want to say it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if a a bear comes running through that door, we don't have to think about what to do next. We're the stairs. And so that part of our brain is pattern recognition. It's there for a reason. But that's not the executive portion of our brain. It's not required no. to make decisions. That's right. So if we can interrupt, and it goes back. I mean, it goes, That's that stuff's getting loaded in there. I mean, all the way back to birth. So who knows what's in mm-hmm. there? I catch myself thinking stuff that, oh my gosh, what? How, how, where did that even come from? And and who knows? And it goes back to the thing of what are we responsible for and what are we at fault for? Yeah. We're not really at fault for stuff that got loaded into our head. But taking responsibility to noticing, yeah, there like, you is go. that, yeah, is that sure. actually totally. something I'm actually conscious of? Uh-huh. Or is that just a thought that went through my head that was loaded in there from someplace? <laughs> it's just my unconscious talking to me. Well, and, it's, and then now I can, yeah. can I hold it out here and re-examine that? That's right. And, and I can take responsibility That's right. for that. That's good. Yep. And I think part of the racist, so one last thing is I think part of the, this racist thing is, you know, when I get called racist or say suggested that I'm racist, I'm, I'm immediately defensive. You bet. And, it yeah. implies, and so it also <laughs> implies that I made a conscious choice. Yep. Right. I got a, I've got a white hood in my garage and I'm making a conscious choice to be a bad person. And but the reality is that racism lives. This is the problem with implicit bias and systemic racism and systemic adva- or disadvantage. Rather, yeah. the systemic advantage. Not, is, well, it's all part of the same system. But the. Um, if I don't notice it, and then somebody gets upset with me because I don't notice it, and then I get upset because they're upset because I think they're calling me racist, what they might actually be saying is, is that I want you to notice how you're actually participating in this, even though sure. you're not conscious of sure. it, and yep. take some yep. steps to address it. But if I can't hear that because now I'm all defending by not being racist, I might be actually be missing my oppor- my my feelings are maybe legitimately hurt, and at the same time, I might be missing an opportunity yeah. to actually unearth some stuff that might actually mm-hmm. change my behavior, where I actually may actually show up more like I'd hope I would. Hmm, that's good. You know, one of the one of the things that um, I think is really important to create change is that you have to have. Um, you've got to have two sides of any coin, right? You have to have a positive and you have to show the negative, right? You, you, you have to have both in order for things to move. If you don't have both, you will always have resistance. You will always have resistance. And so, um, because there's both, whether or not you're aware of correct. it, correct? Absolutely. So one of the one of the realities of the of the civil rights movement um, in the '60s and and things like the Million Man March, which was not just black people, it was it was a broad swath of white and black people at the Million Man Man March. You know, if you look at pictures, there's a lot of white people in the crowd, right? Because there's advocates, there are people that that were really fighting for that um, in that community, and I think that I think. What that, that season um, and those protests and that movement created more change than any of the other things that we did um, and that had been done. Um, I, I had a friend who's who, um, you know, said that um, that changed their entire that that whole movement 
the casting the vision that that Martin Luther King was able to do to cast the vision of what the future could be um, gave people the positive. And then they had to get down and dirty and fight to get the negative dealt with too. Like, so it took both to do that. And unfortunately right now in the, in the conversation, I don't see any vision for positive. What I see is the need for, for, um, justice and, and it's an intangible justice. It's not just about rewriting system. It's giving me back what I don't have, what was taken from me historically, which no one could ever repay. Right. There's no thing, there's no thing or nothing that can make up for those things. So at some point there's that, 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 um, the desire for the, for the judge justice, um, has to, has to be satisfied at some point. And I only see two options for that. Um, Someone subjectively saying, okay, now I'm okay. Someone has to subject, each individual has to subjectively say, okay, now we are okay, right? And to Mm -hmm. say justice and judgment has been paid or mercy has to be given. So I don't know, and obviously this is just on 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 a, just a mindset level. I'm not talking about down in the weeds, you know, stuff which is really big picture. So it seems to me like there's, there's this huge, huge, huge opportunity to cast a vision for the future that I think is completely being missed that Martin Luther King nailed. Um, and that's why so many people like idolize Martin Luther King, you know, he's an idol to most white Americans. He's an idol to most black Americans. He's an idol. You know, he's like, people don't even look at the negatives of, of the bad things he ever did. You know, like they're not going to look at it because wow, look at what this person did because he cast the vision and dealt with the negative. And so that's my only, my only real, like, I, I, cause I see it, you know, and I go, okay, at some point there's gotta be, we gotta be able to, to find a way to move forward together, which well, is true. And he also, to, and he also got shot and he wasn't very popular back then. Sorry, Sam. Go ahead. No, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think you are kind of spot on <laughs> yeah. with the Martin Luther King thing mm-hmm. is that we really like Martin Luther King, um, especially as white people, uh, because he was really hopeful and but there's also another group who is creating a lot of positive changes that we don't really like to talk about, which mm-hmm. is the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when very you hear familiar. Black yep. Panther Party, I know that when I, especially in the past, have heard Black Panther Party, I think militia group. But that was not necessarily true. You know, that was not the whole of them. Is that they created the free lunch program? They were teaching right. self-defense. Yep. They yep. stood for a mm-hmm. lot of the things that mm-hmm. conservative Americans mm-hmm. stand for now. <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so when I think that there is blueprints being made, mm-hmm. and I think when you talk about either both parties are going to have to say that they're okay, or there's going to have to be mercy. I think that there's a third option there, which is the one that people who are really in this are the most afraid of, which is that we will go back to the way things were. And everyone will say that the work is done. Everybody in power will say that the work is done and we will simply be in the next mm. stage okay. of this. Okay. That there's yeah. a slip yeah. loop that can take place right there. I think okay. it's exactly yes. what happens. That's because, civil because what happens is, and I can speak hmm, for myself again. So this is part of, you want to, you want to, I, my privilege, okay, I can check out of this, right? So I've got the privilege of being, <laughs> I've given the privilege of being comfortable. Uh-huh. Right? I don't yeah. have to choose to confront this stuff and be uncomfortable with it. And so a comfort place for me 
is solving problems. I'm really good at it. Me too. Right. And as soon as we, <laughs> as soon as we go to the whiteboard and start talking about, come on, get it right. Strategy, mission, action, plan, <laughs> right. All that stuff. Smart. I'm in my comfort zone. Comfort, discomfort goes away. But here's the part. And, and, and I don't disagree that that's where we need to get. That's what's needed. Uh-huh. That we need to solve the problem and not uh-huh. and have action, which is ultimately, I think, what also everybody wants. Correct. Not yeah. just to slip back. Yep. But here's the Agreed. problem, though, is that as soon as I switch over to that, I'm back in my comfort zone. And there's a danger of being in the comfort zone. Because what I also might be doing is using that as a way to say, okay, let's start, let's stop with all the messy Discomfortable stuff, and, and let me go back into my comfort zone, and sort of, and I can actually might be well intended, but I can actually hide out there. I'm ca- I'm capable and mm. guilty in the past of hiding out there. I think we got to be able to also be you know, uncomfortable and understand the messiness of it. And you know, this is not necessarily a problem that lends itself to simple simple solutions. Correct. Yeah. And I think the other piece of that is um, that it's really easy for us that are inside the power structure, generally speaking. Okay. Right. Okay. So you could argue like they were not. So are you talking broad breaststrokes for me being white male raised middle class um, and being my being straight that puts me in the inside of a lot of groups. Right. So I tend to have um, a very big power. So if I look at people who have been marginalized, so in this case, what we're talking about now, um, black community that feels that they've been marginalized around this issue of systemic racism. Um, it's really easy for us to say, and I was told this as growing up as a kid, don't come to me with a problem unless you also come with a solution. Right? So here's the difference. <laughs> we put the onus on people who are outside of the power structure to solve the problem. Yep. And, and don't bother me and make me feel uncomfortable until you come here with a, with a problem. But the problem is... <laughs> They can't solve the problem without us on the inside at the same time. And so, and us on the inside, I think, have to be able to be able to sit in this discomfort long enough to work together to solve the problem. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's important that we do. Excuse me. But if I just wait and say, don't make me uncomfortable until you show up with a solution, it's not going to happen. And they're going to continue to be increasingly frustrated because the change isn't going to take place. Yeah. You know, what's funny to me, what I, I'm not really funny, but I just find it interesting, like a little humorous almost, is how often um, um, the way that we handle power structures and the way that we um, look at that, um, uh, we also look at those through our bias. Mm-hmm. You know, the, just even the way that we look at, at who's in power and who's not in power and who's uh, creating a system that's uh, oppressing an entire group of people. I think a lot of people um, will would say that their political bias has this right solution. I think I think everyone on the left thinks that the Democrats will have the right solution to this issue. And everyone on the right thinks that their that their policy, the Republicans have the right solutions to the issue. Mm -hmm. And so now we come at it now from a whole new set of biases around uh, politics and around power. And and unfortunately, we live we live in an arena in an age where uh, we are so quickly offended and so quickly hurt, whether it's justified or not, that it's very hard for us to hear each other across the aisle anymore. We don't even have the conversation most of the time. We just yell at each other. So it's like, ah, you know. One one thing that you're seeing with people in my generation is that they're saying, well, we've been doing this two-party system for 
ever and it hasn't we haven't had any solutions yep. which is not necessarily all true you know we have no we've solutions. had some yeah absolutely. but um you know there is you know you're right where there, we need a solution and the solution is going to be bigger than i think that we can even really imagine right now and sure we have to we can't especially in small communities like ours we can't focus too hard on huge world-changing solutions when we haven't even done the small solutions here yet. You know, it's going to be baby steps. We're all about instant gratification, right? So we want mm -hmm. to know the answer and we want to know it now. And um, we're all going to have to find the answer through negotiation. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to have to start with each other, you know, uh -huh. here in yeah. our communities. Right. Yeah. I think this part of the, you bring up it also a really interesting point around you know, our, how we have our discourse, which is if we actually agree on something, if you look at polls, you know, we're pretty polarized as a country, obviously. Um, that's not a remarkable thought. And though, though if you look at polls, it's like the last time I saw it was like 78% of Americans agreed that we're polarized and we can't have a conversation. So that's something that we actually agree on that uh, as a country. It's <laughs> <laughs> maybe one thing we can agree on. Which is why I'm here. Yeah, right? Which is yep. awesome, I think. And it's, um, you know, and, and being able to talk across as humans across difference. That's I right. Think that's what we got to yep. be able to do. And I think part of having that is this is where we get wrapped in the either ordinance. It's like, well, if you are, you know, you're so... On the one hand, we got to be able to talk about hard things, right? So it's like being too sensitive to talk about hard things. We just avoid talking about the difficult things. Like a lot of us were raised, just don't talk about certain things at work or at the dinner table yeah. or wherever. And, and, well, and we got to do that. And at the same time, I also think that that can also be cased as, well, don't be so, um, so you know, you know don't be oversensitive if I'm calling you a name, right? And so, because I think that also, so you, how do you create a space yeah. where we're courageous enough to come in and be open and authentic and look to solutions I, and also that we're not forbidding it. So if I call, right. if yeah, I, that's if good. I'm calling somebody, if I call you a repugnant or a libtard mm -hmm. or a fag or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. I'm not inviting you into the conversation. Absolutely not. Right? And you're yep. not going to want to come yep. in and have a difficult conversation with nope. me. I've shut it down. Where actually, can we get actually get past that and actually talk about really the really difficult things? Because I think the like the the name calling thing and think, oh, you're just being a snowflake. That's actually a way to keep from having the difficult conversation, which and, is what we're actually talking about right yeah, now. Yeah, is like yeah. actually talking about hard things. We've been doing it for an hour and a half, right? I think that's yeah. how you do it. Yeah. So, and this is where, this is where I think, um, um, this is why I struggle a little bit with some of the messaging with, from the Black Lives Matter, because I think there's a lot of advocates who don't feel like they should be shamed into helping or, you know, like, like mm -hmm. be, be put in this position where, you know, you owe me, therefore I can call you whatever I want to call you. And that mindset yeah. actually creates more defensive posturing. I do. You know, so I think that's it, speaking to what you were saying, just to mm -hmm. say, OK, but there's still that that piece. But yeah. yeah, well, and I think that the. What advocates are saying is that um, we need to start within 
our own communities. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, mm-hmm. if you want to help out the movement, if you want to work towards racial justice, start with the dinner table, you know, start with your sure. family, make those conversations because it does start <laughs> with just conversations yeah. Yeah. within people. It It'll doesn't be- start on the national news with somebody saying like, everybody in this country is a racist and you at your TV is like, well, I don't want to listen to this stuff and yeah, turn it off. Exactly. You know, you have yeah. to start with like, hey, uh, do you want to take this test with me? You know, do you want to talk about what's going on with me a little bit? You know, yeah, I'm that's good. Yeah. working on it with my parents. Uh-huh. And, yeah. and I well, think and a I've seen a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a there's a, there's a fine line there between um, saying, look, I'm going to I'm going to challenge you to be uncomfortable or I'm not gonna, I'm not going to call you a name. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and. Yeah. And, um, and at the same time, I'm going to keep, I'm not going to stop talking about this because you're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. and if that makes you feel shamed, Mm -hmm. maybe there's something you need to look at for yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. Because my Mm -hmm. purpose might actually not be to shame. Actually, I'm usually on the other side of that. Somebody's purpose is not necessarily probably to shame me. Maybe I'm, maybe I've got mixed up with, I'm feeling, I feel like I've been impelled to feel guilt over something that actually when somebody's asking me to actually just be uncomfortable and hear them and take some responsibility, they're not trying to say I'm guilty. That's mm. something I'm bringing yeah. to the table. Yeah. So where's that fine line? Yeah, totally. To draw boundaries to each other and challenge each other. Hmm. But also where we're, we're like actively, I agree. I think active shaming does go on and name calling does go on and it go and I don't think, and it goes on from all sides and I don't think it helps at all. It doesn't. It doesn't. I, I don't think it does. I think, you know, I think if you're going to show up to the negotiation table, you should probably compliment them instead of, but no, it's not well, saying that you That's the role of negotiations, right? That, that's right. Is to, is to try and work with somebody. But we're um, not really used to having negotiations no, in this country. We're all. used to having arguments. Yep. And, and. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, just on the um, that I would say that um, people on the on the right definitely feel like uh, the Democrat policies have hindered black advancement, like all of their policies have hindered it and held black people down. And and I know from from a lot of my conservative friends are like at wit's end, like like just give them freedom, like let go of all of these things that are suppressing the black community. And that's their mindset, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, and then, and then of course, back to the rugged individualism. Yeah. And then, and then then, individuals, but we're going to discount everything. Well, and, and actually take, but, but, but giving, giving the opportunity for the outcomes, whereas they feel like, you know, a lot of the policies actually push down opportunity, don't give opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, And so on the other side, you see this huge, you know, like, well, actually all Republicans are pretty much racist and they hate blacks. You know, this, 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 constant, you know, this, you know, thumping of the drum. Um, and, uh, and so it's a, it's a real, um, sticky place for all of this discourse It's yeah, right now. It's, it's a real sticky place. One of the things that we saw all this stickiness come out was with the protests. Right. Right. Okay. So we have some black lives matter. I'm just transitioning a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, I don't want to take up too much of your guys' time. This has been a great conversation. Um, you know, we have these black lives matters protests. Um, obviously you were there for those. Um, yeah. and, and what was that like for you? How was it? Um, it was, I knew that it was going to be a much different scene here than it was, you know, it would be in say like Minneapolis or Seattle totally. or a city yeah. with, you know, a population that's not 91 to 96% white. Um, but, um, it was mostly very 
relaxed. You know, there was a couple people who I think didn't know what to say or were a little bit aggressively um, with the movement, you know, and that's I the issue that I have with uh, liberal activists here is not just here in general, is that um, we take on anger that's not our own, you know, mm. and we speak for communities that um, aren't ours. So I could watch that video of George, George Floyd's death and be enraged and yep. thinking like, I, now I want to burn this country down. It's just like, well, it's not like, I don't really get to be mad about it because I can be mad all I want and it's not going to help anything. What would help is for me to actually negotiate, actually, you know, peaceful protests, wow. actually yeah. push change. Okay. And you know, if my own family member died that way, then I could be angry mm -hmm. and burn something. Probably not burn something down. I wouldn't do that. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad you followed that up because <laughs> this video but, um, might be entered into evidence. <laughs> uh, but that. But at that point, that would fall under me grieving right that would right. fall under yeah. me yeah. trying to get something accomplished right yeah and yeah. so yeah. what i think um hmm. we need to focus on in the our community is what is going to be helpful okay what is going yeah. to be um workable for everybody that's going to improve our community mm -hmm. you know okay. yeah good mm -hmm. yeah i i was um um i was you know, the whole, um, you know, the armed, uh, individuals down there, uh, I've got one of those gentlemen's going to be coming on the show tomorrow. Um, so, you know, just because we're, I'm trying to get everybody's, yeah. you know, insight, uh, uh, on the thought process and where people are at and trying to help people understand each other a little yeah. bit. I was but on go the ahead. bridge the first day. Yeah. Okay. If Sam wasn't, not okay. no. uh, that day yeah. that I actually went out there on the bridge. Um, one of the reasons I. I wanted to support this across, you know, in our community across the country because I thought it was important mm -hmm. to show support for that. And um, and then I saw this, I saw this thing come out on social media. I was working and I saw this pop up and this call, um, and I that concerned me a lot. It's like, well, I was trying to decide whether if I had time to go or not, and then it's like I'm definitely going to go. And um, that was a different scene than the, the Saturday march, and I think the after correct, think, yes, and yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, and I was pretty vocal, and I've been threatened over it, and I've been pretty vocal about that. I didn't think that was okay. It's a boundary, and I'm actually not against the Second Amendment. I have guns myself. Grew up hunting, um, in a gun only family, and um, there's a and I've been pretty vocal about that. And the, and and you go, I know you and, and Shelby talked about intentions versus impact, and so I don't yeah. know intention there. Um, I do. I can speak for impact, and the problem that I had for it, and this is this is about calling it. This is where I draw a line. It's like I'm just not going to just say okay, it's to make peace over this. I'm going to say I don't need to demonize anyone, but I think it was there's a boundary there that was not okay, and and I think that's around asking permission. So problem I had there is that we had people show up with weapons, and so you've got a disbalance of power. You've got largely people Sam's age and younger showing up there to do a peaceful protest is really clear. These folks are not Antifa. Um, we don't have a history of Antifa here. We do have a, we do have a history of right wing militias here. Mm -hmm. um, and, 
so showed up and to, to basically the, what I saw was basically following and guarding them and but but saying we're here to protect you. And I think that may have been a legitimate thought on people's part. But when you're protecting somebody without their permission, without being asked and without the permission, it starts mm. to look a lot more like we're actually out here supervising you. So, you know, so all of a sudden you've got folks that are really vocal. If you watch threads on the right, there's like yeah, very yeah. vocal. We're yeah. not okay with people who are on the left and there's certain things, and, you know, and and then you got people over here. It's like we're talking about Black Lives Matter, and you know we've got you know you're kind of loosely. I don't know why these are left and right things, but they seem to sort out that way. So now you got people that have. I'll help uh, explain that. But go ahead. have a that have you know that are weaponized that mm -hmm. out there. Okay, we're watching you. We're saying we're here to to protect you, but that's really not necessarily the implication there, and that's not necessarily how it's felt. And then you say, well, you know, why don't we? You know, aren't you grateful or why, you know, and maybe some people are, but at the same time, if I got to, you stand it down, you got a people with surrounded by people older than you with guns saying, aren't you happy we're here? What are you going to do? Right. And so where I, where I get concerned about moving forward with this, well, one, um, Georgetown School University School of Law has come out with issued an opinion letter that that actually is it's against the Idaho Constitution. So the the, the militia armed militia coming out as a as as a as a quote unquote you know, as a police force security force security force. Um, I actually don't think it's called for in Idaho law, and that's disputed. We may end up in court. I don't know, but the so just just look at the implications of that. So we're just accepting that that's okay. But what happens? What happens if it's like, okay, I get tired of people being following me around with a gun without my permission because it, it, because it has a chilling impact on my right to free speech. And so what happens now? I bring my gun and I get a whole bunch of people. So what happens if all of a sudden you've got a bunch of Black Lives Matter people and they all have AR-15s walking up and down the bridge? What if I get a bunch of black people with AR-15s walking up and down the bridge, right? What happens then? Where does it start to go off? We already see it's calmed down here in Coeur d'Alene. And I really appreciate, first of all, the, I appreciate that the city stepping up and saying, no, thank you. And I appreciate the, the militias up here saying, backing off. Yeah. Right. I appreciate that. Yep. But I see in Coeur d'Alene going the other direction and I see people going by and saying, you know, nigger lovers and flashing guns and protesters. And, and what happens if you arm the other side, which is right now purposely not doing that in order to not escalate the situation? Where does that go? To me, that doesn't go to a good place. It doesn't set a very good precedent. And the bottom line for me is if I, if you, if you, if you want my help, great. But if I'm trying to offer you my help and you say, no, thank you, I'm not really helping you. I'm just imposing my power on you. And that's really not okay. Mm. It's like, I want to walk a girl home from the dance. So I'm just following her home. It's like, well, why are you following me? I'm here to help keep you safe. Well, I don't want you to keep me safe. I don't want you to protect me. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. That's a whole nother. That's whether it's intended or not, yeah. that's twisting the power structure around. Yeah. So that's, that's why I don't need to demonize anyone. I don't have a problem with people having guns, but that's a line that I think we need to, we need to take a really hard look at. And I appreciate that we've seemed to have come to a place 
here that's I think so I I think I think um, I think that there's been a lot of uh, conversation around this and I think the ability um, you know I think uh, there's definitely some people who agreed with uh, Shelby's concept of intent versus impact you know and um, but that absolutely makes sense I think um, one of the biggest struggles that I see in that is um, that um, people are are believing um, they're believing Facebook instead of reality on a lot of things, you know, yeah. and, and when you get reports that, Hey, there's going to be this, there's going to be that there's going to be Antifa, there's going to be, you know, these riots or potential riots. And, you know, and, and I think everybody's just supercharged and amped up and I'm glad that it calmed down. You know, I'm glad everybody stepped back and said, okay, well, yeah, you know, they didn't, you know, feel the need, uh, in further, further gatherings to, you know, go, go that, go that distance. And, um, you know, I think, um, I, it's really, it's really difficult when you do have people who really, um, desire to help and yet they're the way that they help isn't necessarily that helpful. And we see that on both sides. Totally see it on both sides. Absolutely. All right. So, so, and one of the things that I'm, I'm really a big fan of is not judging people's intention and motive and what's in their heart, you know, like, okay, I cannot tell you what's in, happening in your heart based on uh, what you're doing. You know, like doesn't you usually work out. So doesn't, well. doesn't usually, you know, there's that whole assume know. thing, you know, right. um, who's it make a what out of. So, um, so I think that, um, I think that part of this conversation, I think, is is that um, there is racism to deal with. There's there's still um, pockets of, um, you know, the covenant people pro, you know, Aryan nation people up here. It's been here a long time. It's been here a long time and they're still here. Yeah. Um, and and so let's I, to me, I feel like it's appropriate to pick the right enemies. Right. Like your battles, pick your battles and pick, pick the pick like, okay. So, so if there's, you know, just because, um, someone disagrees with the solutions that black lives matter is putting forth Mm -hmm. and they're, and they're thinking that doesn't make them mean that they're racist or it doesn't mean that they don't think that black lives matter because they disagree with the approach of black lives matter Mm -hmm. movement, right? Like whether it's demands or, or even in the approach on how to defund the police and all of that kind of stuff, obviously get educated on it, learn what you're protesting, learn what you're learn about the thing that you don't want to participate in. But at the same time, disagreement doesn't, doesn't mean ill intent within somebody's heart. Um, No, not necessarily. So yeah, Mm -hmm. not necessarily at all. No. Um, but I do agree with the education piece. Yeah, it's absolutely. Huge. And yeah. I think that um, we are not necessarily listening to people who know what they're talking about all the time. Sure. Because you know, we, we disagree. And, they, we, and, we disagree. and we're just like, ah, I'm not going to listen. But there's a difference. I know a between... lot of people that would watch the Robert um, uh, interview won't watch this interview. Yeah. Fully aware. (laughs) Yeah. But um, there is a difference between me disagreeing with another kid my age and there's a difference with me disagreeing with somebody who has a PhD on racial justice. Um, And I think um, that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's going to be right all the time, that people who are part of movements are right all the time. And I'm not suggesting that we have to just accept that 
that's true. Yeah. But I do think that um, it's really important to listen and learn as much as you can and that mm -hmm. there are options. You know, you don't necessarily have to read your cousin's whole face Facebook post on communism, but you could read an article about it. And, you know, if you hear something that you don't necessarily agree with, you look it up a little bit yeah. and then then you can still disagree and I with hope, it. And I hope that, you know, where there is disagreement, um, that people can do that on all the sides, Yeah, you know, and really go, okay, that makes, that makes more sense. I think, um, so, uh, uh interesting, uh, movie that ended up coming out uh, just recently was from a ton of black conservative leaders called uncle Tom, um, because they're, you know, declared to be, uh, you know, basically, you know, like traitors, tra race traitors and, mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff, because they don't buy into a lot of the narrative that the PhD would put forth. They said, mm -hmm. actually, we totally disagree with that. And we think here's the problems and here's the solutions. I think yeah. it's important to look at that. I think it's important to watch all of that. And if, cause if you're really gonna, if you're really going to be helpful, Getting in a silo isn't going to do it, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, and I, um, the thing about education is it's also has been affected by racism, right? Is mm -hmm. it's especially yep. recently, it's pretty, it's incredibly expensive. Um, a lot of people can't necessarily <laughs> afford it. A lot of people don't necessarily go to schools that give them the tools to even be admitted. Right. Um, so yes, I agree. And it's, um, you know, people of color are not a monolith. I think that when we talk to other white people, we assume that they're all going to have different opinions from each other. But then when we talk Correct. about marginalized communities, we assume, assume that we right. all think of the same. Yep. Right. And we yep. look at one we person to speak for the whole group. And, and I think it's another both hand, right? So you've got people totally, like yeah. you're talking about, yeah. or, you know, that, um, like, yeah, you're into, you know, their individual viewpoint or endpoint as a, as a smaller group within a group is completely valid. Yep. It's their viewpoint. It's valid. I'm certainly not going to argue with, <laughs> with somebody of color about race, about their experience with race. Their perspective is completely valid. And at the same time, they don't speak <laughs> for the yeah. entire group. It's not fair of me to expect them to speak for the whole group. And it's also not fair of me to hold them up and say, look, I found somebody over here that agrees with me. So I'll, everybody else's perspective and lived experience is invalid. And I see that go on. As totally. Up yep. Because like, yep. that also is not true. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's both true. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also true that calling people racist for disagreeing is wrong. And I also think that there is a reason for frustration with people not this, this people experiencing not being able to change things because the people in power mm -hmm keep retreating to a level of comfort and, and don't don't seem willing to take a look at the situation mm -hmm. and then challenging them. Mm -hmm. And I think that also comes in to get into this area of like, I have interactions with people say, well, this, this is like, quit talking about this because I feel like you're calling me a racist. Well, maybe somebody did, or maybe they didn't. Maybe you're just, maybe I'm just, just uncomfortable. Yep. And, yep. and that's why I want you to be quiet and I'm going to make a judgment that you're calling me a racist when really you're saying you need to take a look at this thing that maybe you're not see. I don't think you see and it's harming me and it's got to stop and I'm getting desperate. So I really need, wow. I'm actually need to make you uncomfortable right now, even when you don't want to be, and maybe you don't have to be, 
but I got a knee to my neck and I need something to change. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to push it. I really had a hard time when one of my, uh, really close friends, um, um, my friend who's a basketball player, you know, played professionally and, um, household name guy, but he, he made the case like, Chris, you've, you're, you've got to help get me out of this. Well, and that's and just I'm different. like, and I'm like, you know, I'm fairly conservative and very like independently oriented and like, okay, you know, like I'm, and I'm like, I'm like, man, I don't like that. I don't like that. The, you know, he used a pretty gross, uh, grotesque analogy for me and put it in some terms that made me, you know, like kind of shudder. And I thought, you know, I hear you. I love him like a brother and I'm with him regardless of, you know, so I'm like, all right, man, I'm, I'm with you. And Um, you know, we're both people of faith. So we just really orient around that as far as like, how are we going to move forward in a way that um, benefits everybody? Um, and that's healthy and that's, you know, a blessing, um, you know, and and so there's certain, certain aspects that we're, we're processing through, but it's a long, difficult, hard conversation. And it's really a good one to have, um, because, you know, we don't, we, we have to remember that, that, um, uh, oftentimes we will never see what other people live in or walk in their shoes. And that's for every individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't get to see it all. We don't know the trials and tribulations. And so, um, that everybody goes through, um, individually, but then we also have to recognize that when it comes to groups and it comes to different people, that it's really important to listen and to pay attention and to get educated and to go, okay, what can I do a little bit differently? I had a conversation on a kind of a more conservative group and I said, I'm doing everything that I can to try and have as many of these conversations as possible and to challenge my assumptions right. To challenge the way that I've normally seen the world. Um, because I think it's really important to, um, understand people's experience, uh, for us to find a place where we can begin to build a better future together. Um, until we're on the same playing field as what I was telling Robert, like until everybody starts getting some basics on the playing field, the same, there's not possible, you know, the solutions are going to create more chaos. Yeah. So we've got to, we've got to try and at least get to that. And, you know, pendulums swing, Right. And, and pendulum swing. And so there needs to be a season where pendulum swings pretty hard one direction so that it can, can, we can come back into the middle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the no, the not seeing color is, um, a step in a process that we have barely begun. You know, it's just like we're waiting for this step before we've taken care of these steps to actually mm-hmm. make that possible. Right. Mm-hmm. We actually got to I think we, we've got to be able to see color. We've got to be able to see our differences and talk Absolutely. about our differences. Totally. Be honest about yep. our difference before yep. the differences good. stop to matter. Because yep. the differences still matter and we're just blind to it. We're just perpetuated. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, there's um, there's such um, there's a different way, I think, of seeing the world and where you can actually place the the different 
the different cultural strengths and the different cultural things that are, are just so powerful within each individual community. Like we can celebrate those things. Like we can really celebrate um, those powerful strengths that are on the individual communities mm-hmm. instead of saying, Oh, your strength's not like my strength. So it's a weakness, you know, right. that type of thing. So, right. And yeah. if it's from our, that's an awesome guy, that's a whole conversation. But <laughs> if, if, Thing, if I'm on the inside of my culture, which is our culture, uh-huh. generally mm-hmm. speaking, as a large brush, is sort of the dominant culture, right, of the country, right? business culture. I noticed what I was learned how to do growing up, what I think is the right way to do when I show up in a corporation or I show up wherever. That's largely, that's like how it's done. And so mm-hmm. sort of, mm-hmm. But when I learned that there's other cultures that have actually, that actually adapt to that, mm-hmm. and I've got, it gives me like, I don't have to stop doing it. My culture's not bad. But like just one example is like, you know, our, the kind of what I grew up, the culture I grew up in is that rationality kind of trumps emotion, right? If I show up as emotional, I might. Well, that's Western, that's Western culture. Right. So if I show up as emotional, I might be judged as, as irrational, right? Well, you know, other cultures are different and also between men and women also there's, there can be a difference in, so, so what I've learned for myself is like, it's actually free. So I can just realize it's like, I can actually show up with some emotional, with some emotional um, vulnerability and say, you know, I feel really, Uh tell somebody how I feel about something and it actually helps my leadership. Yeah. So it's like, of course, oh, okay, of course. that's great. So I can pull out my legal pad and I can, I, now I can do both. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's funny because you see this on the religious side um, as well, the rational and kind of stoic versus the more emotional expressive uh, in race, right? The black right. churches versus the classic, yeah, yeah. you know, fundamentalist white church is going to be miles apart culturally. And it's almost all like rational versus emotional. Right. Um, and it's not saying they're not rational. Um, so, you well, know, I, that's one of the, when you were talking about that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've totally seen that. I've had the privilege of speaking in black churches that love it. Okay. Super fun. And you know, it's just a real, real, real cool, cool thing, but it's very different. Right. Well, and emotions Value inform it. our morality, you know? So when we say that you can't have to make all these decisions and you can't be emotional about any of them, you are cutting away part of a, your ability and your instinct to make choices that are right and wrong, I think. Um, and you hear it all the time. And it's like, don't get emotional. It's like, but it's an emotional issue. I feel emotionally about it. And um, my emotions are the only reason that I care about it. Um, because this issue, um, the Black Lives Matter issue, it really doesn't affect me here. You know, yeah. it doesn't. Um, so... If it doesn't affect me and the solution won't necessarily benefit me in the way that I am benefiting from the system now, uh-huh. why should I do it? Yeah. Because I believe in other people and I care about other people and I want to see a world and maybe raise children in a world where it's not an issue anymore. Okay. Vision. Yep. And yep. Um, yep. so I think that that's a huge hmm. way for people to put down activists, especially women activists, especially black women activists, is that the stereotype is like, well, you're angry about this. It's like, well, yeah, she is angry about this. It's, it's infuriating. And she's not irrational angry. She's just, she's just angry. It's, it's both. And she's yeah. irrational and she's angry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I think that, um, 
I think the concept around, you know, morality uh, and and the the intersection between morality and 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 emotions, mm. um, you know, uh, I, th- I think like the rule of law in the sense of like if we go back to Judeo-Christian ethic of the Ten Commandments being the moral, you know, the kind of that moral compass and then your emotions um, have should as like Western, you know, mindset emotions have zero to do with that. Like Mm -hmm. your emotions might swim you toward it or push you away from it. But this is that solid piece of the of the thing. So learning how to navigate um, in those in those arenas is really interesting. That's just a really interesting concept. Cool. Well, I, I, I think we should probably wrap up. Yeah, it's been should, a great been here for a while. Yeah. No, well, and, and I, I don't like putting caps on time when we're running down a rabbit trail, uh, you know, or what, you know, whatever, whatever that might be. I will say that um, I believe that this conversation hopefully will open some people's eyes to um, not just buttress their bias, but to open up, you know, to look at, at maybe some different perspectives on all the sides. Um, and um, I'm hoping that at some point in the near future, I told Robert, I feel like there's an awakening happening in our nation. Um, and I feel like more and more um, people are seeking truth and they're wanting what is right to prevail. Not just what feels right, but what is right, what is just, because if it's only based on my emotions in that sense, like if what's right and wrong is only based on how I feel about it, well, I'm, I'm either victimizing someone else or I'm becoming a victim in that. And I knew that's a whole nother conversation, but, um, but I believe that there's this overarching, like this reality where we're all, where I think I'm believing that we're going to find a place to have clear vision for how to move forward. And um, I think it's not going to look the way that BLM thinks it's going to look like. And I don't think it's going to look like what the conservatives think it's going to look like. Um, and I think we're going to, we're going to find something in there that's really going to work well. well I, I think so. we, I think most people in this country have a, some idea that what we have currently is not working very mm-hmm. well for us. Yep. Agreed. Um, yep. And that's going to come to something for well, sure and, and human beings are incredibly if we in our highest selves we're amazing yeah right? and so that's my hope is that we rise to that higher self and we create something that's not in one stereotype or another stereotype mm-hmm. yep um and we create something that that works for us that's you know it's so it's like okay, it's Marxist or it's fascist or it's some some extreme. Why don't we create something that actually works, that is takes the best out of mm-hmm. takes the best out of our, our free enterprise mm-hmm. nature and also supplies justice for everybody for the so community. That it doesn't have yeah. to be like on the backs yeah. of of people that we're victimizing mm-hmm. and yeah. sees ourselves clearly and our actions clearly. I think that's all entirely possible. Yeah. yeah. Well, and what we're just trying to achieve with the um, demands that the uh, solidarity group here came Mm -hmm. up with is to just educate, you know, it's like make sure that uh, people whose um, salaries are paid by taxes uh, have the tools to not discriminate while they're at work. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's good to have the tools because it's illegal to do it, but Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got it's the like, implicit but bias. obviously, right. if it, it just because something's illegal, it doesn't make it what? not prevalent. People do illegal things. <laughs> yeah. um, 
And so we just want people to be well-educated mm. in schools, people well-educated in the government on how they can better serve an entire community of people mm -hmm. and for the police force to have good um, de-escalation training and um, non-bias training. And as a guy yeah. that I was responsible for for government employees and for including police forces for quite a long, quite a number of years. And I look at that stuff like, you know, the things that worked that I always saw that kept people safe are implicit bias training. Mm -hmm. helps, yep. It helps yep. keep everybody safe yep. um, and, and keep them out of trouble. And de-escalation training with police forces, I mean, that doesn't, that you're not just protecting, you're not just protecting people in the community, marginalized people in the community, you're also protecting police officers with that. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I see that as I look at that, and I, I'm kind of confused why that's a, a either or because it looks is to me in my experience it, it's really it's a win win. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think a lot of it is messaging, and I think a lot of it is also learning um, how to how to not how to propose something without vilifying somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's there's just room for improvement and all this stuff. Uh, I read through the demands and and on its face like. I didn't see anything that I'd be like, yeah, that's really horrible. Yeah. Like, okay. Like, I think that there could be a huge benefit to a lot of those things. I mm -hmm. think the process messaging, all that kind of stuff is stuff where, where, which, you know, um, at some point somebody, somebody says, this is what the demands are because mm -hmm. this is what we want to have happen. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, until somebody really makes a stink about it, usually nothing moves. Right. So, you know, there, there it is. So well, hence I, the hard language, I think. Yeah. And at the same time, I think there's some offense taken to that. But mm -hmm. I think that's the reason why. And also, I mean, it's like, let's be honest, like, nobody's been taken hostage here. Right? I mean, there's no, like, you know, nobody's over a barrel. There's no threat. There's no threat. Right? It's like, the, the, or what? We're going to keep yeah. walking up and down the bridge with the sign we should get to do anyway. It's like, you know, there's, yeah, nobody is being, it would be different if somebody, there was a hostage situation mm -hmm. or there's some threat. Mm -hmm. We're going to, you know, they're just not Can existing. I, I just want to say one more thing too, because I think one of the things that I hear a lot about is this concept of the slippery slope. Like if we do this, if we do this, then it, it devolves into this and it yeah. devolves into this. And we heard and, it with and the we, legalization of marriage. If right. Let man marry a man you're gonna let me marry my dog it's like what yeah no. so so most of the time I, and it's not universal but just a general slippery slopes don't exist now there's there things over time change mm -hmm. um but usually the thing that people really don't want doesn't happen yeah so, you know, it's like you, they just got to keep that stuff in mind. I don't know. I study uh, persuasion and messaging a lot um, mm -hmm. because I think that that that's the number one tool that we have in this world to see change is how do you how do you negotiate and persuade and help somebody see something? And, you know, so I think I think that that um, hopefully people will step back and uh, look at all of this stuff from a little less um, defensive posture. Um, because that you don't see clearly when you're defensive anyway. So mm -hmm. hopefully, hopefully on all sides, we can all, we can all step back a little bit and be good. Indeed. So I think there's an opportunity. Yeah. Sam, thank you so much for coming on the show. Appreciate you. having you. you. Good luck in the rest of your school, getting thank all that you. stuff done there. And, yes, and Todd, it was nice to, nice to connect with you and meet you. Yeah. And thanks for coming Likewise. on. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank all right. Yeah. You bet. All right. Well, all right. Have a good day. All right. We're good. <laughs> <laughs>